Okay, I'll read this one. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. And then, that was Isaiah 7, 14. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 1 says, Who has believed our report? Who, and really the Hebrew is, who's, who's believed our teaching, the doctrine, the teaching? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he will grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form, no comeliness, and when we will see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. He, he was wounded. The Hebrew says he was tormented. He was tormented for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his bruise, we are healed. With his stripe, but the Hebrew again is his bruise. With his bruise, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you will make his, his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed, he'll prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He will see the travail of his soul and will be satisfied. By his knowledge will my righteous servant justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a, a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered through the transgressors, transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And that was Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. And then 
we turn to Myron's favorite portion and Luke, the first chapter. And it said this in verse 30, And the angel said unto her, to Mary, Fear not, Mary. And when Myron said she was a teenager, she was a 14-year-old peasant girl. She's 14 years old, and she's a little nobody. For you, has found, you have found favor. You have found incredible grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How will this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered, and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which will be born of you will be called the Son of God. Imagine coming to a 14-year-old peasant girl and thousands of years of prophecy through Isaiah is going to be fulfilled and God to bring it forth through a 14-year-old, nobody, little peasant girl. And then we see in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, the word, and I say thee because... In our King James, it'll say, in the beginning was the word. It's not what the Greek says. The Greek says, in the beginning, which really wasn't a beginning, in eternity past, the word. And the word, it doesn't say was with God. It says the word with God. And the word, not was God, it says the word God. It's making declarative statements. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is all the pre-incarnate Christ before he put on humanity. In him was life, and the life was the life of men. And the light, the light, shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it. It's a terrible translation in the King James. Comprehended it not. Did not overpower it at all. The darkness overpowered, did not overpower it. And then we see in, in John 1, verse 14, it says this, And the Word was made flesh, became flesh. He became, the Word who always was became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and he was full. He was filled up with all of grace and truth. Can you imagine all of the grace and truth that always has been, as long as God has always been, was in his humanity? <laughs> Very interesting. Born in a 14-year-old, little nobody, little peasant girl. In Philippians 2... Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, being very God, truly God, 
did not think it a thing to be grasped, to hold on to the manifestation of his deity, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So because of this, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, that'll be all of us, and things in the earth, who's ever on the earth at that time, and things under the earth, even those that are in hell. Isaiah 14, verse 9 says that hell beneath is moved to greet you at your coming. Many believe, and I, and I do, that hell is located right now in the center of the earth. Not, don't want to get into it, but uh, every... The name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those things that are under the earth, and that every tongue should confess, and this is fulfilling Isaiah 45, verse 23, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then we see in John, 1 John, 1 John 1, verse 1 says this, that which was from the beginning, and we know in John 1, 1, the beginning was eternity past. So anyway, we can say, try and describe eternity in time. <laughs> that which was from the beginning, really, which had no beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life which every created being had its existence in was manifested and we have seen it. And we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So this then is the message which we have heard of him. And this is what we declare unto you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. None. And so John here, he is declaring the word of life man. That's who he is. He is the word of life man. That was the, the one that was born in that 14-year-old little peasant girl that no one knew anything about until God chose her. And how beautiful it is to see that this eternal life in 1 John 5.11, that eternal life is Christ. Christ is eternal life, by the way. We have eternal life because Christ is, in Colossians 3, verse 4, he is our life. And uh, 
He would, and this life was manifested in Christ, and yet it was at, imputed to us, and then becomes imparted to us in every moment of our life. And we've said before, to how precious, how precious is his man, manhood, to the point where it says that both he who sanctifies and them that are sanctified in Hebrews 2.11 are all of one. And that he, God, in humanity, <laughs> and the beautiful thing about that, God in humanity, is that when God became a man, he became a man forever. And that's why in Hebrews 2 verse 12, he is not ashamed to call us brethren of the same life. That we have that same life. And in that manhood that was so precious in God's sight that in that manhood that God removed all distance between us and him. And that distance is put away and every moment of our life, he comes continually nearer to us, every single moment, in every single situation. And then we see in Revelations, the fifth chapter, in verse 1 it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And all of this is very incredible when you understand it. And we won't have the, the time to go into this these particular things tonight, but at some point we want to. And I saw a strong angel book proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. Never mind open it, they couldn't even look. And I, John, wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to even look therein. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four creatures, beasts, says here, but creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. The Amplified Bible translates this, I think, beautifully in the Greek. It says it was just as if he was freshly slain. So for all eternity, when we view him, God in humanity it will always be as one who was just freshly slain for all eternity when we look at him. He was a lamb, having just been freshly slain, having seven horns, the fullness of all power, and seven eyes, the fullness of all wisdom, which are the seven spirits, the fullness of the spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came, and he still comes, the one who came from heaven and was born humbled himself to be born, who was in total obscurity for 30 years, 
total obscurity for 30 years and was cut off in his prime at 33 and a half years of age. He came again and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four creatures and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors of the, in, the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they all sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and you have made us unto our God kings and priests, and really the original is a kingdom of priests, and we will reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands and thousands. In other words, really, they couldn't number them. They could not be numbered. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts, the creatures said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and and ever. <laughs> That's Christmas. That's, and when we consider <clears throat> that in God's mind, in God's eternal mind, that he was the only human being, truly, in God's mind, truly, in his perfect plan, who was ever born to die, so that all those that would experience death would live uh, because of him. So that's Christmas. Those are the scriptures. And uh, if we can just ponder on those and think about those, we can see and we can rest on the fact that even, for instance, like those three Hebrew boys in Daniel 3, 17 to 25, when they were in the midst of the fiery furnace, and we can know that it's true that in Hebrews 13, 5, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And like those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast into the fiery furnace, turned up seven times hotter, simply because they were loved by God. Wasn't it said that the people that threw them in, were, it was so hot that when they threw them in, they were scorched? And that's what I was going to get to. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that even, even those that put them in were burnt because the king, in his anger, turned it up seven times hotter. And then it says, they threw them bound into the furnace. They threw them bound into the furnace. And it never says that they saw 
the fourth man in the furnace. Never says that. But those that were from the outside, that were walking by sight, looked in. And they said, we see the fourth man. And it says it's, he has the form of the Son of God. And I see him walking in there. And we may, in all the trials, in all of the circumstances and situations of our life, we may not see him. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. But he guarantees he is there. We don't see him, but he is there. Because he came. He came. And he, every single thing that he went through, he went through for us. That's right. He went through for us. And even though we can't feel him at times, and when we can't see him, we know, truthfully, by so many examples and so much that we just read, that he is there. And God allows us to go into these trials. And some of us have faced some pretty tremendous trials. And it would seem like we would just be consumed by them. And we didn't feel him and we didn't see him. And in that sense, we went in there bound. And it says they didn't see him. But was he there? Was the fourth man there? And then when they came out, what did they come out with? They went in bound and tied. But then they came out. And the only thing that that fire did was take off of them what was binding them, what was inhibiting them, what was keeping them. And of course, that's why Jesus came. He came. And he went through every single thing that he went through so that he could, he would never leave us, nor forsake us. One of the things, one of the seven sayings that he cried on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is never our cry. He was forsaken in his humanity only because he could never, being God, leave the bosom of the Godhead being God. But in his humanity, he was forsaken. And he would fulfill Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that when we go into those fiery furnaces, God always allows those fiery furnaces for us to go in. Because a lot of times we don't see, we can't even see what's binding us. We don't even see it until sometimes we're in those fiery furnaces. That's one of the things I was personally reading in, for myself this morning, was we get in these fiery furnaces, and at times we think that God, at times it seems by sight and by our feelings, which we cannot trust in, that we're alone and that he's not there, and that it seems like he's forsaken us because of the intensity of the fire, the intensity of the trial. But the fact is, is that he is there. 
and if he hadn't been, those bindings, those ropes, those chains that were binding us would never have been taken off. That was one reason. The other reason why that God allows us to go through trials and go into these trials where we learn to depend upon him without any evidence, without any feelings, because our feelings will always go up and down. But our faith, our dependency, when we depend on him, he's never moved. <clears throat> and that's why he allows it. That's another reason why he allows it. But the other reason is, is, to, is that we are, he wants to increase our faith. We want to be more like him. We want him to be more revealed in us. So great faith is going to require great trials. And our Savior's proven that. And, uh, and then, again, for those chains, that whatever's binding us, is, is, is gonna, God is going to show us how that has been taken off because of the fourth man. Uh, just like the priest who went before when they, they crossed the Jordan. It was the priest who stepped in first. And then the waters would part. Joshua 3, 1 through 6. <clears throat> the other reason is, is those that don't know him, that walk by sight, will see the fourth man. <laughs> he wants to increase our dependence. But because they walk by sight, he wants him to be revealed in us. And then it says, they saw him. They saw the fourth man uh, in the furnace with us. So everything that he went through, from, from childhood all the way up to the cross, 33 and a half years of age, cut off in his prime, was all for us. All revealed, all done to and performed and manifested through a 14-year-old little peasant girl. But she had just she had just a little bit of faith. We have so much more than that little girl ever had for evidence. <laughs> much more. But that little 14 years old, that little girl, she trusted God. She trusted God. And as Myron said, so did her husband. He trusted God and leaned on him even apart from his feelings, even while they were going on. And that's what faith means. Faith, again, when we'll close with this, faith, absolute dependence on God, doesn't mean we always feel like doing it. That's why we don't go by our feelings. That's, faith doesn't mean that I have to be just right to trust him. It doesn't mean that. It means, honestly, faith means that in my weakest moments, and usually those are when we're in those fiery trials. In our weakest moments, we just fall on him. When we don't feel him, and when we don't see him, we fall on him. And we can because he's there. So Lord, we thank you for uh, the beautiful word that Myron gave us so beautifully from his heart. And we thank you for 
the songs that you had my wife Jean pick, which were absolutely beautiful and just ministered and were perfect. And thank you for each person here, uh, God, and, and uh, we're, thank we're thankful that you're faithful. Not one of us knows what our need is. Only you do. A pastor does not know what the sheep's need is. Only Jesus does. He's the only one. The pastor doesn't even know his own need, apart from going to Jesus, and none of us do. But we certainly know the one who does. And we're just thankful for that. Thank you, God, for sending your son. And thank you, uh, Jesus, for for putting on humanity and and uh, just for everything, Lord, that you went through. And you did it to propitiate your Father so that his perfect love could be released through you, the substitute. And when we would receive you, that we could be reconciled to you. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.